If you've just started coming to this series, in the last couple of weeks we've been in this series where we've been talking about our goal in this series is to come face to face with who the real Jesus is. And to do that, I want us to wrestle with this question that Jesus asked the disciples 2,000 years ago. Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? He said, who does everybody say that I am? They said, oh, you're Elijah, you're, you're a prophet, you're, you're uh, somebody. He says, well, it doesn't matter. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course, is the one who stood up and said, thou art the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And we talked about Jesus being our Messiah, that he came to take away our sins in part one of this series. And we talked last week about how Jesus meets all of our needs, just like that new song, Honey in the Rock. That's a cool song, isn't it? Um, how Jesus meets our needs, whatever it is we need. We don't have to know how it comes or how it's going to, how it's going to happen. If we'll bring him our needs, he'll meet them. Um, this week, I want to talk to you. As we continue, I want us to wrestle with this, this question because you really need to know who do you say that Jesus is? He's the most important human. He's the most important person in human history, the most important person who's ever lived. And the question is, what do you really believe about him? In order to know Jesus better, one of the common misconceptions I want to debunk that's out there is this idea that I hear every now and then from people that have this this feeling or this thought that. Because Jesus is God, because Jesus is perfect, because Jesus never sinned, that he just, he can't really identify with everything that I'm going through in 2022, in the midst of a pandemic, and in the midst of a polarized political system, in the midst of, you know, the world's worst inflation, and in the midst of, you know, all of the things that we're going through with the the, the, the things that our kids are, are facing, it's easy for us to think, like every generation, that things are so bad now, or things are so worse now, or Jesus, how could, he, how could he have any concept of what I'm going through? So we believe sometimes, or we're tempted to believe, is the real way to put it, that because Jesus never faced the challenges of the internet, or the same trials that we have, or problems that we have in 2022, that Jesus just doesn't understand. And I, I'm here to tell you, I want you to know today, there's nothing that could be further from the truth than that. In fact, I want you to look at the very first verse on your outline at the very top, or it also be on the side screen. And those of you who are watching online, thank you for joining us. The, the scriptures are right at the bottom of your screen or, or your device. Hebrews 4.15 says, This high priest, that's Jesus, this high priest of ours, understands our weaknesses, for he faced the same testings, we do. He faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Because Jesus is fully God and also fully human, he can understand everything that you and I go through in our lives. He says he faced all the same challenges and testings that we face, yet he did not sin. So I want to talk today about temptation, about how Jesus understands my temptations. Let's begin with, I've got it on the top of your outline there, kind of a, a theological definition of temptation. Temptation is simply the desire or the inclination to step outside of God's will. Will you write that in there, God's will? That's what temptation is. It's the temptation to step outside of God's will, God's plan for our life. Temptation is when we feel that desire to disobey God. To disobey his plan for our life. And temptation is dangerous because when we give into the into temptation, it takes us out of God's best plan for our life. And we start we start on a path of a lesser life. A lesser kind of life. And it's tricky because temptation is deceiving. Temptation never tells us the truth. It doesn't tell us that ultimately all those promises that the temptation is making, that ultimately it's just going to lead to a path that leads to death and destruction and disappointment and disillusionment and a lot of other D words, right? All, all of us deal with temptation. We all deal with temptation. And what I mean by all of us deal with temptation, look at the person on, right next to you. Look at the person on both sides of you and like, yep, they did. Yep, they're definitely dealing. Look at the people in front of you. 
They definitely deal with temptation. You deal with temptation. They deal. Look all the way up front here to the person up here. I deal with temptation just like everybody deals with temptation, all of us. And there's so many temptations around us. I don't know, are there hundreds, are there thousands, are there tens of thousands of temptations? It can be overwhelming just to think about it. But I want to simplify things today and let you know that in reality, there are only three main categories of temptations. That all of the hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of temptations all fall into one of these three main categories. And they're the temptations that we all face no matter what temptation you're facing right now in your life, the big one, the one that you always deal with, the one that mm, causes you to kind of kind of drop your head a little bit as you come in, no matter what that temptation is, it, it falls into one of these three categories. And we find these categories of temptation in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. It says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life come not from the Father, but from the world. Now, I want you to circle three phrases in that verse. I want you to circle the phrase, the lust of the flesh. That's why I told you, get your pen out, start clicking it. Circle the lust of the flesh, that's the first one. Then circle the lust of the eyes, that's the second one. And then circle the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Every temptation that we face, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of temptations, they all fall into one of these three main categories, these three areas. The first is the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh is the temptation to do whatever feels good in the moment. Whatever's going to make me happy in the moment. And there's a word for this, and the word is hedonism. It's the temptation to satisfy our desires no matter what they are to indulge ourselves in other words, I'm going to do what makes me feel good regardless of what God says about it. I'm going to do what's going to meet my need right this now regardless of what God says about it. That's the first area. And then there's the lust of the eyes. This is the temptation. The lust of the eyes is the temptation to have more and want more and more and more and more. And we, we see something and we want it no matter what the cost and the, the word for this, another word for this is materialism. It's the desire that we have more. Now, the advertisers, Madison Avenue and probably Silicon Valley really now, um, they are always putting stuff in front of us and saying, you want this, you want this. And, you know, all you have to do is just, you just mention something that you've never wanted before. But if someone talks to you and says, have you heard about the such and such? And you talk about the such and such. It seems like our phones are listening, doesn't it? It seems like. Siri's definitely listening. Alexa, always listening, right? And as soon as you mention something that you might even be interested in, next thing you know, it, it's on your Facebook feed. It's on your Twitter feed. It, it, it's all over your devices. They just, you know, in fact, now you'll start getting text messages from people that are trying to push you those things. They're like, how did they get my cell phone number, you know? Oh, we all have your cell phone number. You didn't know? Yeah, Alexa, yes, Siri, yeah, they're all working against us. They're all saying, and what do they do? They show you pictures of people who have that you didn't even know they had made it, much less that you wanted it. But as soon as they show it to you and they have someone smile and it's like, this makes me so happy. You need one of these to be happy. You know they pay those people, right? They pay those people to look so happy. They might not even have one of those, but they say, hey, you got to have one of these. It's the lust of the eyes. We, we want one. I want, I want that. I want to be happy like them, right? I want to look like her. Or maybe you want to look like him. I don't know. Um, and then the last one, because we all have that drive to want more. I want more. And then the last one is the pride of life. And this is the temptation to be someone or to be something. This is about status and, and success. It's about position and power. I, I want to be loved. I want to be honored. I want to be number one. I want... I want to be respected. I want to be elevated. I want people to love me. I want people to admire me. This is where we remove God from the center of our life and we put ourselves on the center of our life. And we assume 
everything revolves around me. Now, maybe you've lived your whole life on the center of your life. You've always thought, well, what else would anything revolve around? Everything, of course, everything revolves around me. It's all about me, 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 me. I, 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 I. These are the three big temptations of life. The lust of the, the flesh, the, the temptation to feel good. The lust of the eyes, the temptation to have more. And the pride of life, the temptation to be something. And no matter what the temptation is you're facing today, we're all faced with all these temptations, but they all fall into one of these three areas. And no one is immune from temptation, including Jesus. Now, even though Jesus didn't sin, he was tempted in these three ways. And, and we're going to see in this passage, um, in fact, if you've been in church a long time, sometimes this is the passage that's always brought up, and you feel like, well, this was the one time that Jesus was was tempted, but it, Jesus was tempted every day of his life, just like you and I are tempted every day of our lives in these three areas. And that's why what we learn from Jesus, it can help us to fight off temptation in our own lives. We find this classic passage in Luke chapter 4. It's one of the places that we find it. We find this incredible story of Jesus fighting off temptation. Now keep in mind, at this point, Jesus is 30 years old. Jesus is just about to start his public ministry. Just a few days ago, Jesus was baptized. They had a baptism in food. Well, they probably didn't have food trucks. They had a baptism in barbecue. I don't even know if they did barbecue back then. Back then, it would have been a baptism in fish fry, okay? So they had this baptism in fish fry, and Jesus was baptized. And the Bible says that after he was baptized, he goes off into the wilderness to fast and pray. When you fast, that's when you don't eat any solid food. When you pray, that's when you talk to God. And it says that he went out into the wilderness to fast and pray for 40 days, y'all. 40 days. He hasn't eaten any solid food in 40 days. You know what it's like to go 40 days with no food? That's longer than Survivor. Survivor is only 39 days. And you see those people, they shrink down to nothing. They're so weak and emaciated by then, and they're eating a little bit of rice, and they get a couple of rewards. So imagine 40 days with no food, no solid food. And by this time, Jesus is very weak. And this is where he gets tempted. And this is Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 13. Let's read this. It says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned to the Jordan River. And he was led by the Spirit. He returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Now, let's stop right there. Something I want everyone to see. Who is it that tempts Jesus? The devil does. God never tempts us. God God is not the one who sends temptations into our life. God is not trying to trip us up. God is not trying to trick us. God is not trying to get you to mess up your life. It's a temptation that we have in our life. It doesn't come from God. It comes from the evil one, the father of lies. Then it says, it continues, Jesus ate nothing at all, all that time, and became very hungry. So he was there for 40 days. And it says, Jesus ate nothing all that time, became very hungry. Because some people are like, well, you know, how do we know he really didn't, you know, does a smoothie count? That he, you know, he ate nothing, nothing in 40 days, okay? Then verse 3, it says, the devil said to him, I want you to notice when the devil comes. The devil comes to Jesus when he's hungry, he's tired, he's weak, he's vulnerable. And that's the exact time that he comes in our lives. You ever been hungry and faced temptation? I'm always tempted to get angry when I'm hungry. They invented the word hangry because of me. Okay? Um, or, l- ladies, think about when, when, when your husband's weak after being sick. He, you know, I mean, men, I mean, just a little cold will do it, right? And, and they're weak and they're like, everything's hard. Right? Whenever we're, whenever we're weak, whenever we're hungry, that's, that's when Satan brings these temptations into our lives. Because he knows that we're weak. And that's when he's going to attack. Continue, it says, Satan says this. The devil says this to Jesus. He says, if you're the son of God. If. I, that, that word if kind of ticks me off there. Because Satan knows he's the son of God. There's no if about it. 
you know, it might be for me and you, who do you say that I am? But he knew who he was. But he still says, because he's a father of lies, he says, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. Which of the three major temptations is this? It's the lust of the flesh. It's the desire to feel good. Jesus is hungry, right? He's been fasting. He hasn't had any solid food for 40 days and for 40 nights. And Satan says, hey, 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 eat this bread and your stomach is going to feel good. You know, hey, eat this bread. You go ahead and, you know, you, I, I imagine they smelled like yeast rolls, right? You, I mean, that's the bread that would get me, right? That would be the Texas Roadhouse yeast roll. Oh, yeah. It, and it would be like, you're hungry. It's been 40 days. You know, turn this stone right into, you know, a yeast roll. This is the temptation of the lust of the, the flesh to feel good. But Jesus told them, no. The scriptures say, and I want you to see that phrase, the scriptures say. You're going to see it over and over again. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then, in verse 5, then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. He says, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Interesting that the devil says that all the kingdoms of the earth are his to give to whoever he pleases. Is that true? Well, I don't know that's true, but I've, all, I've already learned don't believe what the devil says. He lies. So he says, supposedly, I'm going to give you all of this. I don't even know if that's true. But I'll give it to you if you'll worship me. Which temptation is this? It's the lust of the eyes. You can have it all. You want more? I'll give you more and more and more and more. So this is the temptation to have. First was the lust of the flesh. This is the lust of the eyes. Look what Jesus says to him. He says it again. Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then in verse 9, it says, then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you're the son of God, if again, if you're the son of God, Jump off. For the scriptures say, now the devil's going to throw a scripture at Jesus. Isn't this interesting? For the You see, everybody who throws around scripture is not necessarily from God or on God's side. Have you figured this out yet? There's a lot of people who speak for God and a lot of people who quote the Bible. They're not on our side. They're not on God's side. They're not believers. They're like on the father of lies, the devil's side. And the devil says, for the scriptures say... God will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Which temptation is this? It's the pride of life. This is the desire to be the center of attention, the desire to be praised. Everyone will see you, Jesus. Everyone will, will see you do this. Jesus responds the same way again. The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Now, I find this verse 13 very interesting. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left until the next opportunity came. The next opportunity. You see, we never completely defeat temptation in our life. As long as you're alive, you'll be tempted. With the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Billy Graham lived to be almost 100 years old. His whole life, all the way to the end, still tempted. Mother Teresa, all the way to the end, still tempted. As long as you live, you will be tempted with hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of different temptations that all fall into these three categories, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Because Satan is just waiting for the next opportunity to attack. Now, if Jesus had given in to any of these temptations, he would not have been able to fulfill God's purpose for his life. What was God's purpose for his life? God's purpose was for Jesus to live a perfect life and to die on the cross for my sin and your sin, to forgive us of our sins. We talked about that when we talked about the Messiah and all those prophecies that he fulfilled. Jesus' purpose was to live a perfect life and in giving his life for us on the cross our sins would be forgiven. If he had given into the temptation, into any of these temptations, he could not have fulfilled God's purpose for his life. In the same way, whenever we give into temptation, and we do, 
it prevents us from fully living out God's purpose in our life because the temptation pulls us off of God's plan, pulls us off of God's path, and puts us on a lesser than plan, a lesser than life. Temptation leads us to a path away from God. It hurts our relationships. It can hurt our career. It'll hurt our finances. It'll hurt our future. It definitely hurts our relationship with God when we give in to temptation. That's why this is so important. Just like you and me, Jesus was tempted by the big three temptations. But unlike you and me, he didn't give in. That's why we can learn so much from Jesus and his example and how to overcome temptation in our lives. How do you do it? How do I overcome the big three temptations? I hope you write these few words in as we cover these just really three points that we have to cover today. How do I overcome the big three temptations in my life? Number one, let's talk about the lust of the, lust of the flesh. To overcome the lust of the flesh in my life, write this in, I have to develop godly boundaries. Will you write in the word boundaries? I develop godly boundaries. The lust of the flesh is the temptation to feel good in the moment, to satisfy your desires in the moment, to watch whatever you want to watch when you want to watch it, no matter what God says, to eat whatever you want to eat, when you want to eat it, to sleep with whoever you want to sleep with when you want to sleep with them, if they'll sleep with you, to do whatever is going to make you feel good in the moment. That's why this temptation is so dangerous, because it promises you if you do this, you're going to feel good, or if you do this, the pain that you're, you're in is going to go away. If you're in pain, it'll numb the pain. And you know what? It may make you feel good in the moment. It may alleviate the pain in the short run. But when you give in, it always leaves you wanting more and more and more. And ultimately, if you keep giving into the lust of the flesh, it's going to end up hurting you and end up hurting those who are the closest around you, the people you care about the most. And if we don't learn how to fight off the lust of the flesh... There's a lot of temptations in this area that we could talk about. I'm reluctant to bring any of them up because, you know, I, I could do a whole series on the, the lust of the flesh. I could, I could cover 10 per week for probably 10 weeks, but I already know that if I were to do a series on, on how to deal with the lust of the flesh, nobody would come back for part two, right? I mean, you'd be like, see you, see you in 10 more weeks, Pastor. You know, you tricked me once. I'm not coming back again. You know, you, you, you let the cat out of the bag. So, no, don't worry. We'll never have a whole series on that because nobody would come. Um, you would be tempted to stay home or go to the beach. Uh, and, you, and it would feel good. You would give in to that. So, we have to learn how to fight this off because there's so many temptations in this area. Um, for instance, you know, I could talk about drugs or, or I could talk about alcohol or I could talk about even food. That, that We're tempted to, to, to access those things to, to alleviate the boredom or to, um, um, to numb the pain that we're feeling in life. That can lead to substance abuse, and of course that can lead to addiction and so many other things. Another area that people struggle in when it comes to the lust of the flesh is sexual temptation. And this one is so dangerous because the Bible tells us that it affects our minds, it affects our, our bodies, and it even affects our souls. The Apostle Paul writes about what happens when we get into sexual, give into sexual temptation. In 1 Corinthians 16, 19, he says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God brought you, bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Paul says we've got to honor God with our bodies. If, if we're a follower of Jesus, then God's Spirit lives within us. It says there we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, God cares deeply what we do with our bodies. God's antidote for the temptation of the of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, especially sexual temptation, 
is to develop boundaries in our lives. What's a boundary? A boundary is, a, is like a buffer zone. It's like a guardrail. It's like a fence that you put, not on the edge, because that's our temptation to get close to the edge. But the problem is with sexual temptation especially, the gravitational pull is so strong. If you go to the edge of the line, if you want to see how close to the line can I get, it will pull you over eventually because it's just it's so big. It's too strong for us. So we decide, you know, I'm going to put a distance. I'm going to put some space between me and that boundary. I'm not going to get too close for, too close to it. So here's the question I, I have to you when it comes to the lust of the flesh. What boundaries do you need to create in your life today? You know, if you're married and you're at work and there's a coworker who's there who, who you're close to and you kind of feel that little spark of attraction or that little spark of flirtation with them, what kind of boundaries can you set up to protect your marriage and to protect yourself? Maybe it's, well, I'm not going to be alone with this person or, or uh, I'm, I'm never going to go out for coffee or go out to lunch with this person. By myself, what boundary? We talked about this a lot when we talked about um, in the series right at the end of August, the last Sunday of August, we were in the the greatest, the the best question ever series, and we talked about running from sexual temptation, which is the next verse that we're going to look at in just a second. But maybe maybe it's not sexual temptation. Maybe it's maybe your deal is you, your temptation is drinking too much. Um, Maybe you need to say, you know what, I need to set up a boundary here. With, with this particular crowd, I, I'm not going go, to go to the club uh, with those girlfriends, or I'm not going to go hang out with those dudes, you know, on the weekend. Because the last couple of times, you know, I can't even remember, but they tell me it was bad, you know. So, so, so you set up a boundary, or you say, you know, when I, when I go to that out-of-town office with that crew, I'm, I'm going to go straight back to the hotel. I'm not going to go out. I'm not going to go out with them. Or maybe your boundary for you would be, you know, I'm never going to drink alone, you know, because, you know, I just don't know. I just, I just give in. Once I start, I, I, I can't stop. you got to figure out what is the boundary that I have to put in place in whatever particular area that this lust of the flesh um, seems to overcome me. Here's the secret for overcoming the lust of the flesh, especially when it comes to this, uh, this sexual temptation. And that's the one word, run. You remember in... And uh, in August, at the end of August, if you were here for that message, I just screamed the word run it at you uh, really loud. And some people really freaked out. I got my point across. They started to run out of here. Um, and, and, and it's the one thing that the Bible tells us, don't stand and fight this. You run from it. You get away from whoever or whatever is tempting you. In other words, don't play around with sexual temptation. Because it will pull you over the edge. The gravitational attraction, the pull, is too much for us to handle. Here's the verse. It's 1 Corinthians 6, 18. It's the verse right before the one that I just read you. Um, it says, run, run from sexual sin. No other sin clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. If you want to go back and listen to the last Sunday of, of August, there's a whole message about that. So you've got to do whatever you've got to do to get away from the lust of the flesh. Create the boundaries so that when it does attack, and it will, you don't stay and fight. You, you, you move away. You run from it. So you overcome lust of the flesh with developing godly boundaries. Then number two, if you'll write this in, you overcome the lust of the eyes. I overcome the lust of the eyes by living generously. Will you fill that in? By living generously. The lust of the eyes is the desire to have more, more, more. More of everything. I just want more. We all kind of want more, don't we? It's just, it's just programmed into us to want more. John D. Rockefeller was one of the very first billionaires in America. He was once asked, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? And his classic answer, the one that he's very famous for saying, this is the first billionaire in America when he's asked, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? You know what he said? A little bit more. Just a little bit more. It's never enough. I want more. We want more. more. We want more brand names. We want more features on my phone. We want, I've got to have this. I've got to have more, more, more attitude. And if we let it, the lust 
of the eyes will leave us broke, in debt, and unsatisfied, and ultimately unfulfilled. Because more, more, more does not make us happy, happy, happy. It just keeps us running in circles. We're on that proverbial hamster wheel, that treadmill, where as soon as you get, you, as soon as you achieve that, that level, it's like i got another level. They've got a newer model. They've got a better one. And somebody else, you know, like I said, they market us. They send us all these Instagram pictures. In fact, now they send Instagram to your, to your watch phone. They, they'll text you. You know, you need one of these. You click on it and go, man, I I look at that. You know, next thing you know, they'll, they'll be taking pictures of us. Oh, I shouldn't even say, give them this idea. They'll be taking pictures of us, and they'll be putting us in the truck or in the car. Or, in, you know, they'll show us telling us we need it. You know, there'll be a deep fake video of Jerry saying, Jerry, you need to buy this. I'll be like, well, how did they do that? I'm telling you, it's coming. I'm not a prophet or son of a prophet. I'm just thinking of bad ideas. Generosity. The key to living a life that breaks the materialism in our life is to live a generous life. God's, you see, here's the thing. God is a giver. We're never more like God than when we're giving. Generosity is God's antidote to pursuing more. Because it breaks the, the, the grip of materialism, of wanting more in our life. Whatever it is that has a hold of us. You know, if money has a hold on our life, and it does for a lot of people, the way we break that hold is by giving away money. And people say, you can't give away, giving away money, that's crazy, crazy talk. Oh, no, no. It means when you start giving away your money to help other people or to support God's kingdom, and you start being generous with what you have, it says, you see, I don't have to have this. In fact, not only do I not have this, I can give this away. It's the antidote to materialism. We're showing that money no, no longer controls us. Because we're giving away what used to have such a huge grip in our life. That's why when you look around, by the way, the most generous people in life are generally the happiest people and the healthiest people. This is why the generous, generous people have far less debt than, than people who are in the grip of materialism. Why? Because they're like, I don't need another one. I'm content. I not only don't need another one, I'm going to share some of what I have with other people, people that need it more than me. And they're the happiest, they're the most content, and they're the healthiest people in our society. And they have the less debt. Because generosity breaks that cycle. It gets you off of the treadmill, off of the hamster wheel of wanting more, 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 more. God created us to be generous. He created us in his image. And God, and at, at the core of God, he is a giver. God so loved the world that he gave. We are never more like God than when we're giving. So let me ask you a question. Are you living a generous life? A generous life towards God and his kingdom and a generous life towards your fellow man, to the people around you. Whenever you give, you receive so much more in return. You know this. When you have your kids and it's the first couple of Christmases that they kind of remember, you know you're more concerned with, with what I'm going to give than what I'm going to get. That's part of growing up and becoming mature. Jesus is the one who said this, by the way, in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus says, give and you will receive. And then he says this, he puts a scale to it. He says, the amount you give will determine the amount you give back, you get back. In other words, the more we give to bless others, the more God gives to bless us. You cannot outgive God. You want to have a great contest in life? You just challenge God. Say, God, I'm going to try to outgive you. I'm going to give. I'm going to give, give, give more than you can give, and God will never lose that challenge. Here's what I know: there are people today who need freedom in this area because their life right now is controlled by their bank account. It's controlled by their portfolio. Their life every day is if it's green and the arrow's going up, it's a good day, and if it's red and the arrow's going down, there's been a lot of those lately this year especially, then it's a bad year, a bad day. Their life's controlled by how much stuff do I have? We will never be happier because we have things. 
we're just going to be more stressed out. We're just going to be more distracted. Listen, this is a lesson that people are learning that have been in the path of this hurricane. What they're going to learn is all the, I've lost everything. And then they're going to realize I didn't lose anything. I lost a bunch of junk, a bunch of stuff, a bunch of stuff that's going to end up in a landfill way sooner than what we will have all our stuff in the landfill. But I'm telling you, when they have their health and they have their family, they're going to realize they had, they still have everything. I've seen it over and over again. This is why God's antidote to the lust of the eyes is to give generously, to break the grip of materialism. It overcomes the temptation to have more and more, and it leads us to a happier, healthier life. So to overcome the lust of the flesh, I develop godly boundaries. To overcome, uh, I just got to get away from the line, get away from the edge. Then to overcome the lust of the eyes, I live a generous life. I live generously. I give away the very thing that's tempting me, trying to control my life. Then finally, and this number three is probably the most difficult or the most dangerous, I guess, temptation is how I should put it. It's the most dangerous temptation of all to overcome the pride of life, I have to center my life on God's Word. Have I, have I told you lately you should read your Bible? I've got to center my life on God's Word. And the pride of life is probably the most dangerous temptation because ultimately pride is at the center of every sin. All sin finds its origin, its beginning place, in pride. Because when I sin, it's all about I, 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 I. The middle word in sin is the problem. It's an I problem. And what we're saying is, God, anytime we sin, God, I hear what you're saying, but I think my way is better than your way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on my own. I'm going to do it my way. In fact, they're even going to sing it at my funeral, God. I did it my way. Sinatra version or Elvis version. Play them both, you know. I'd, there's probably a country western version, right? I don't listen to country. Mamas don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys, right? Good. I'm glad you didn't know the answer to that. Um, nothing wrong with country. Okay. I'm just saying I'm sure, you know, there's a Mel Tillis version of I did it my way. Maybe not when we tell God, I'm not doing it your way, I'm doing it my way, that's the core of every sin. And every time we give in to temptation, that's really what we're saying. God, I hear what you're saying. I know that's your plan. That's your perfect plan for my life. That's the path you want. But I'm going to go do it over here. I'm going to go my way. I'm going to do it what I want to do when I want to do it. I want the glory. I want the power. I want the praise. I want to be the center of attention. That's the pride of life. The pride of life goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It's what the devil used, what Satan used to trick Adam and Eve. He said to them, he said, hey, 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 if you eat this fruit, it's not going to, you're not going to die like God said. He challenges God's word. He, he says God's a liar. He says, you're not going to die. In fact, this is what he says. He lies to them. He says, you're going to be like God. You're going to be wise like him. And they ate the fruit, and they didn't become wise. What did they become? Stupid! Big-ass word! The stupidest thing they ever did was believe the snake. They believed Satan, and they were stupid, not wise, because of the pride of life. I can be better than God. I can be why? The temptation, the pride of life brought them down in pride. It was also at the heart of every one of Satan's temptations of Jesus. So how do we overcome this? Because it is, it, to say it's in our DNA is so, is so simplistic. But it is in our DNA to fall for this line. How do we overcome the pride of life? Well, Jesus gives us the answer in our story from Luke 4. The way Jesus overcame the temptation of the pride of life, and really all three temptations, was by centering his life on God's word. 
In fact, Jesus uses God's word to overcome each one of these temptations, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Every time he was tempted by Satan, he used the exact same words. I pointed them out to you, and now I want you to circle them. At the top of your outline in the passage of Luke 4, in verse 4, in verse 8, and in verse 12, Jesus says the same thing. The scriptures say, circle the scriptures say, in verse 4, verse 8, and verse 12. Do you see what Jesus is doing there? He is fighting temptation with scripture. Whenever Satan throws a temptation in Jesus' face, Jesus throws a scripture right back at Satan in his face. Now, if Jesus needed God's word to overcome temptation in his life, don't you think we need God's word to overcome temptation in our life? Oh, you betcha. That's why the key to overcoming the, the pride of life, the temptation for the pride of life, really any temptation, is to make sure that your life is centered on God's Word. And not only do you need to, have I told you lately that you need to read God's Word, but you've got to memorize some of God's Word. Because God's Word is true. God's Word is eternal. God's Word is unchanging. God's Word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's Word does not change with cultural trends, with political ideo- uh, um, ideologies. Um, God's Word does not change when the talking heads start saying one thing or the professors start saying another thing or the politicians, why do we even listen to them? The politicians start saying whatever will get them a vote. You know, they put their finger in the air. You know, whatever culture says, whatever Hollywood says, whatever Silicon Valley says, it doesn't matter. God's word is the only thing that doesn't change. It's been here for thousands of years actually it's been here for eternity because it says in the beginning the word became the word was god and was with god and the word became flesh it's the one thing we can depend on so how do you do this how do i how do i utilize god's word i just said it a second ago real simply you got to do what jesus did you got to memorize some scripture now i know i know i know i know you're like i can't memorize scripture Jerry, is this too hard? I mean, you memorize the Bible. I mean, you know, what do you think? I didn't grow up in church like you. I didn't go to Sunday school and VBS my whole life. It's just so hard to memorize. You realize how many passwords you have memorized? I know, sometimes you can't memorize. You, you have so many memorized, you can't remember the next one. Do you remember when you were growing up how many phone numbers you memorized? I mean, you memorized every girl's phone number you ever met in middle school, right? You remember, in fact, do you know any phone numbers anymore? I don't know any phone numbers. I had to clear out all the phone numbers so I could add in all the passwords. I think that's what was, what was wrong with my brain. I was like, I don't even know my wife's phone number. Well, what's her phone number? N-A-N-C. Nancy. It's just a phone nose, right? In fact, you don't even have to. I can say, hey, so-and-so, call Nancy, and she'll call her. I don't even have to know how to use my contact. I just talk into my watch like Dick Tracy, you know, and it'll call my wife or whoever. We don't have to memorize phone numbers anymore. You don't really have to memorize pass- passwords. You're, you're, you know, your, your device will keep track of that. You can memorize Scripture. It's not that hard. All of us can do it. it doesn't, I'm not saying you've got to memorize the whole Bible. You can memorize a verse a week, though. At the end of the year, that's 52 verses. And we'll help you. If you would go take Pastor Rich's class, Class 201, Maturity Matters, he will help you learn how to memorize. I mean, they go through practical exercises of having to learn how to memorize Scripture so that it makes it easy for all of us. Your kids, your little tiny kids are memorizing Scripture at Power Up every single Wednesday night. And some of you, you're memorizing Scripture, just helping them memorize it as part of the that's part of our system. <laughs> we give your kid candy bars, but you're the one to memorize. You'll get nothing. <laughs> Isn't that great? Actually, you do. You get to fight temptation. So whatever it is that you're, tempta- you're, you're tempted for, maybe it's you're tempted to drink too much, or maybe you're tempted um, to flirt with that man or that woman who's not your spouse, or maybe you're tempted to, to buy that watch or to buy that uh, phone that you really don't need and you obviously can't afford. Um, because here's the thing, if you don't have it memorized, when you're tempted, like you're in the middle of that 
oh, I'm about to flirt, or she's flirting, or he's flirting, or, or um, they're offering me a drink, or if that's your temptation, or, or you know, here's, here's that ad, you know, for just click here, one click, and they'll send it to me, you know. I mean, you realize there's going to be an Amazon Prime next week. Did you know that? I didn't know that till yesterday. Somebody said, amen, is that what they said? <laughs> yeah, there's going to be an Amazon Prime Day. It's like, don't, don't, I thought this was like once a year, then twice a year. Now it's like every month, like Amazon Pride Month, you know. It's like... like and, and people in the first service like, Amazon Prime, you know, they got their phones out right away. All you've got to do is hear it. You know, you're drawn to that because they're telling us you need more, you need more. Listen, when we decide we're going to do something about temptation, we start memorizing these verses because you're not going to have – we don't carry around a big old King James Bible with us everywhere we go anymore, Right? So it's like, oh, he's flirting with me. Let me pull this. Oh, let me, what's this proverb say? You know, oh, the, the Madison Avenue, they're, they're showing me a brand new iPhone, a brand new something. You're not going to pull out your, they're flashing something, some kind of thing at me, some on, on my texting or on my, on my computer. You're not going to be pulling out your Bible or pulling out your phone and going, oh, what's that Bible app he keeps talking about? You know, you, you Bible, Bible data, Bible, you know, Bible gateway, is that, you version, what, what, but you, you've already fallen. You've already given in the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's why if we can memorize a verse a week, God can bring it to our mind. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Man, it's not lived by bread alone. There's just so many verses that God can can bring up. You know, thy words lamp into my feet, light into my path. Oh, lean not into your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. And those are the kind of things that God can bring up when we're in the midst of being tempted, when we're weak and we're hungry and we're at a, you know, we're at that spot. We have to memorize verses to fight the temptation. Psalm 119.11 is I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, in the first service, I had an extra two minutes, so we took the time to memorize this. I don't feel like I should let you off the hook. So let's, if it's back there, let's read this together. Can you read Psalm 119.11? And we're going to put it at the end of the verse, too. Psalm 119.11, read it out loud with me. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119.11. Let's do it again with a lot more enthusiasm than that. You guys sound like you're asleep. You're ready to get out of here. Let's read it fast. Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119.11, that's two times. Let's do it a third time. Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119.11. Do you need one more time before we try it with nothing up there? Yeah, I know you do. Fourth time. Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119.11. Now we're going to take it away, and we're going to do it. Can you do it? Psalm 119.11. Where? Psalm 119.11. You just memorized a verse. You should be like, woo, yeah, I did it, right? And let me tell you, it took less than two minutes. And if you would do two minutes a day for a whole week, if tomorrow you took two minutes and you read Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And if you do that Tuesday, Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday, by the time you got here next Sunday, you can walk in the door and say, Psalm 119.11, I have hidden my, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. woo You'd be like, I won, I won. What do I get? What do I get? You get out of temptation. That's what you get. If you serve over in Kid Zone, you probably have a candy bar. Just a few minutes every week. Here's what I want you to know. Fighting and defeating these temptations is not really about your willpower. It's about God's power, submitting and trusting his word and his power. I don't know what temptation you're facing today. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a sexual temptation. Maybe it's the addiction to have more stuff. Maybe it's uh, whatever it is. Jesus understands. And he's promised to not only, that he's not only experienced, but he's promised he's with you. Last verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. We're all in this together. And God is faithful. 
He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so you can endure. He will give you the verse to get you out of that temptation. You just have to put it in there. I don't know what temptation you're facing today, but I do know that Jesus cares for you. He loves you. He understands what you're going through. And he doesn't offer you just a way out. He offers you a, hey, follow me out of that temptation. And he will lead us there. Let's bow our heads. And when we have our heads bowed, I just want you to be able to pray to God. Between you and God, let this be a time between the two of you. And here's what I want you to do. I just want you to, to deal with whatever the number one temptation is for you. It might be the lust of the... The lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the pride of life. All of these temptations fall into one of those categories. Would you just bring those temptations, whatever it is that's tempting you today, would you bring it to, to Jesus and just say in your heart, say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I can't defeat this temptation on my own. Whether it's my own pride, I've been telling you I'm going to do it my way. Or you've been telling me to do something, I'm like, I'm not going to do it. I've been going my way. God, I'm bringing this temptation to you. Please help me. Help me to create a boundary. Help me to, to live by your word. Help me to live a generous life, whatever it is, so that I can defeat the temptations. I trust you. I put my trust in you and in your word and in your power. And, Father, I specifically pray today for anyone who might be here who their entire life they've been giving into temptations because... They've been experiencing the hurt and the consequences and disappointment because they don't know you. They don't have you as their Savior. And they've never experienced the power of Jesus in their life. Listen, if that's you today, my prayer, to, my prayer is that today will be the day you just say, Yes, Jesus, please come into my life. Just say yes for the first time. Yes, Jesus, for the first time, come into my life. And God says his spirit will come and live within you. He will live and make you his temple. And then he will guide you. And he'll give you the power to defeat temptation when it comes into your life. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you're a God who not only is there to help us and give us what we need, equip us, but you are there to love us through whatever temptation we're facing. We love you. We love you back, like Kristen said. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's Mel. I hope you learned some ways to prepare yourself for temptation and to stand firm no matter what comes your way. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. See ya.